Welcome to Walk in the Truth Podcast. Today, John Metter, lead pastor of Cross City Church, brings a message in the Origin series that helps answer the five most important questions in life. How you live today depends on how you answer these questions. Here's John Metter with a teaching on the five questions. way to get into this series today and here we finally are over the last few weeks I've been looking forward to getting into the very first book of the Bible the book of Genesis you're going to want to take your Bibles and turn to page one of the whole Bible page one of the whole Bible it's really easy to find Genesis chapter one verse one today we're going to answer a very very important question that people seem to get wrong all the time and here's the right answer is going to come out of these pages today in Genesis 1-1. And here's the question, who is God? Who is God? You know, foundations are incredibly important. You don't build a house on a foundation that's weak because if you do, the walls will soon tilt. Before long, the sheetrock will come apart and you'll have to call the foundation experts to come in and prop it up and fix it up because it's not going to last. The foundations of a church building are incredibly important. When we built our facilities here, they drilled down about 70 feet to pour the piers upon which the foundation was going to be poured. And I thought, well, that's great. I should be able to walk across this floor without it cracking, and everybody else can too. The foundations are not only important in the building of a building or the building of a highway. Foundations are important in the building of a life. Can you imagine what it would be like if the God of the universe had have given us everything except the right foundations to live life on? But we know that God gave us incredible foundations. Sometimes we just forget what they are. Well, we haven't taken a long enough look at what we should be standing on. Today, everybody needs foundations. You need foundations. Maybe if your life is crumbling, this is a great chance to come back to the foundations that God gives us. And the book of Genesis, aptly named, is the book of beginning, the book of origins, the book of foundations, and everything that we need to know about life, we're going to find in the first 12 chapters of the book of Genesis, and we're going to do that over a space of several weeks. Would you please stand with me as we read these first two verses today? And most of you know these by heart. You might be able to quote them without even looking at your Bible, but here are the verses that start the entire Bible, and certainly the book of Genesis. Genesis 1-1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. I call that day zero, because after that, he begins to create the heavens and the earth. And we'll look at that in weeks to come. Father, in Jesus' name, show us what we need to know with these first two verses Lord, I pray for the foundations in all of our lives, for the answers to the most compelling questions we can ever ask. I pray today for those answers, and we ask this in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. 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 Please be seated. It wasn't so long ago that I had a, a lunch with a young man that I knew by a family way, and this young man had not been raised in the church. He would not be someone who said he was a Christian. Uh, but he was a deep-thinking young man. And over the course of that conversation, I asked the questions that I'm about to pose to you and said, what would it mean to you if someone could ask and accurately answer these five questions? And his response was, it would be the most amazing thing. 
because I don't have anybody asking hard questions or questions about meaning and purpose in life and giving me answers at all. I would think it would be incredibly valuable, incredibly helpful to me. And the five questions I ask him are the five questions that I'll pose to you today. And they are these questions. Who is God and what is truth is the first one. Now, I know that's a compound question, but they have to be connected. They have to be related because whoever God is, is the one who gives us truth. Secondly, who was I created to be? Do you know how badly the world is mutilating the answer to that question today? With all kinds of variations of what were we created to be? Number three, who are my people? And I've learned this about uh, individuals, that we need a people around us, and God has created a people for us, and we need the answer to that question as well. Do I pursue healthy relationships? How would I know what a healthy relationship is? How, how would I know if I'm pursuing them if I don't look back to the foundations, to what the designer designed for us to have? And then finally, what is my purpose in life? Why am I here? Why am I on this planet, breathing air and taking up space? What is my purpose? And in 12 chapters of Genesis, we find answers to all of those. And we'll walk through these chapters verse by verse and we'll leave with the answers that we need for life and for everything. But we begin with the primary question we'll ask today, and that is, who is God and who actually knows how this world began? What are the theories about the creation of the universe since we're reading about creation? What are the sources? I think you know much of what I'll talk about today comes from Scripture, but I'll also compare with what the world is saying around us. Science and evolutionists have theories, but none have even the majority of support, and certainly none have universal support. Most secularists begin, believe that the Big Bang Theory is how we came about. In one recent article detailing the Big Bang Theory and specifics, written by a group of scientists and others, had some unusual terms as I was reading through it. Terms in this article about the existence of the universe and how it came about had words like probably, or it's thought to be, or it's thought to have happened this way, or we estimate about this many years, but at most this many. There were a number of words, uses of the word if, or it could be, or it's estimated, and then a couple of references to the phrase recently claimed. When I read that article written by a group of scientists and others, I thought, well, it's very evident what they're saying by their words. And what they're saying is, we're not sure where the world came from. <laughs> Christians, on the other hand, have an account that we consider reliable and authoritatively. It's never been disproven which answers the most important questions about life, questions like what I just asked a moment ago. But across the board, whether you're an atheist or an agnostic or a secularist or a scientist or a Christian, you know this, none of us were there at the beginning, right? Not a single one of us. And we all have that in common. We don't know because we weren't there unless... There was someone there who could communicate to us what happened at the beginning, unless there was an intelligent designer, unless there was a God who created heavens and earth and who communicated how he brought everything into existence. You're going to trust one or the other, someone who postulates a theory or someone like God who claims to have been there in the beginning and records that for us to know about. 
But I want to ask an even more basic question as we get into this text today to answer ultimately the question, who is God? We want to ask this question first. How do we know that there is an intelligent designer? Because I believe it's important for us to answer that question today as we talk about this world that's been created. So let me give you three answers to that question. How do we know there's an intelligent designer? Number one, the witness of the universe. In other words, I'm asking you to open your eyes and look around you at the universe and ask yourself, how could this have come into existence without an intelligent, powerful creator God? In Romans chapter one, verse 20, Paul actually gives that kind of theory, that kind of idea when he says, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse who do not believe God. In other words, all you have to do is look outside your world and look at how the earth is, how it exists, how it holds itself in balance with the solar system. Look at the human body, at the amazing, miraculous, molecular structure, and ask yourself, how could something have come into being without an intelligent designer who had a plan and brought this about? That nothing is random about the world that we live in. Nothing is random about the earth, about the oceans, about the land, about the trees, about the animals, the birds in the air. Nothing random about the planet and the solar systems and the universe is all designed. Think about this for just a moment. There's more complexity in a single cell, and each of you have millions of those in your body, than in anything man has ever made or observed. We can't even see all the details of the human cell. But scripture points out that you can see the powerful hand of God in all of creation if you'll look. Now, of course, there's always the explanation from those who do not believe in the existence of God, those who may call themselves scientists and may well be scientists or philosophers or uh, writers who say we want to find the existence of the universe and how it began, but we really don't want to embrace the idea of a God who did that. So what would our theories be? Well, one of the most popular theories is the Big Bang Theory, by the way. A recent article that I read out of National Geographic summarized the thinking of that theory. It says, our universe began with the explosion of space itself, the Big Bang. Starting from extremely high density and temperature, space expanded, the universe cooled, and the simplest elements were formed. In other words, something came out of nothing. And yet science, which by its very definition tries to reproduce phenomena they see and observe in the past, cannot reproduce this phenomena of bringing something out of nothing. And in other words, when you read all of the writings and all of the studies, you have to conclude that the Big Bang Theory is just what they call it, a theory. It's just a theory as to how the world could come into existence. I don't know about you, but I have lots of theories that I don't know if they're true or not. I have a theory about why the Dallas Cowboys haven't won a Super Bowl since 1996. <laughs> Now, I can't prove that theory. I don't, I don't know how to prove it. And nobody will trust me with the management of the Dallas Cowboys, of course, so I'll never be able to prove whether I was right or not. But I have a theory, but it's only worth a few seconds of your thought. A theory that postulates that the universe came into existence that has no solid basis for, theoretic, for theorizing is not something that we can rest in. It's important for us to know that. Even Charles Darwin 
in his writing, The Evolution of the Species, which captured scientists and educators, had no explanation. In fact, Charles Darwin started as a theist, that is, someone who believed in God. He never became an atheist, though later on he became an agnostic, which by definition means, I don't know. But even his theory said this, that it requires for the evolution of the species to take place some simple form of life pre-existing any evolution. And because we can't see where that simple form of life began, that there must have been someone that gave us that simple life. So even if you're an evolutionist, you have to come to the place. Like Charles Darwin said, I don't know who this God is, but there had to be a greater being somewhere that formed the original simple forms of life for his theory to even work. But I've noticed this, his book, Evolution of the Species, was printed and published more than 163 years ago. And 163 years after Darwin's book was published, science has no definitive answer than the random explosion answer, even though it spurred a flurry of scientific experiments and research on creation, there is still no definitive answer. And yet, guess what else we've done in the last 163 years as human beings? Humans have invented cars, electricity, smartphones, 3D printers, Wi-Fi, artificial intelligence, GPS, we do heart transplants, brain transplants, everything else, but we cannot explain creation apart from a creator. That's the reality of the world we live in. And no one can truthfully say otherwise. So it's both perplexing and it's revealing. And here's what it reveals. There's no human answer. Now what you may not know, and I was surprised to hear about this over the last few weeks, that there's a growing movement of people who are not followers of Jesus Christ, not readers of the Bible, but who have begun to believe in the idea of creationism simply because they can't find their answers anywhere else. No philosophers can give them answers. No educators can give them answers. No scientists can give them answers. And they have begun to believe that this world had to have been created by an intelligent designer who brought it all into existence. So as you look around you, you have to conclude there is a well-designed universe. Nothing is random. And I'm so glad nothing is random. Can you imagine if there wasn't order, if there wasn't gravity, if there wasn't the, the spherical movements of the planets in our solar system? Can you imagine what a random universe would look like in terms of explosions, in terms of collisions in the, in the galaxies? Can you imagine how awful and how how much suffering would take place if there was not a random plan. There is an intelligent designer. Nothing is random. But secondly, I want you to notice the witness of Scripture. If you hold your Bible in your hand, if you read your Bible, there is incredible evidence for the creation account. The Bible actually records about 6,000 years of recorded history, and the story of creation is consistently affirmed and accepted and as you read your Bible, you'll see bits and pieces of it all the way through. In fact, only the last 200 years has anyone had any other theory of creation, and that being the Big Bang Theory about how the earth came into existence. Paul wrote this in, a, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3. I believe that Hebrews were written by Paul, and here's what he says. He says, by faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the Word of God. So that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. In other words, at some point, by faith in this God, 
we know that God brought something out of nothing because only God can. Humanity can't do that, but we believe by faith. Now, sometimes people struggle with that phrase, by faith. Isn't that blind faith? But logic tells me it's more reasonable and more logical to believe a God of infinite power and intelligence creating the planet rather than to believe something that was formed out of nothing by heat and a big bang in a random way. Of course, it's by faith because you weren't there and I wasn't there. It's all faith in one thing or another, isn't it? So either I have faith in an intelligent God who created things as they are, or I have faith in some random way that heat exploded and we all have this complex organization and complex universe that we have today. I'm gonna pick the God route today. Just by logic, just by reason, the God route. But scripture consistently, consistently points to this creation account. The Apostle Paul was one of the wisest men of his day. Most of you know he was a former leader in the Sanhedrin before he came to faith in Christ, which required a discipline of studies. Later on became a very successful and frequent debater with the greatest minds the Greek world had. And he made this statement in Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. For by him, referring to Jesus Christ, by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers and authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. That's Paul. But if you take your Bible and read through it, you'll find that creation references pop up everywhere. Creation is mentioned in 208 different verses in the Bible. Over 66 separate chapters focus on that. 26 books of the Bible. That means that Moses, Job, Nehemiah, David, and the psalmist, Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Amos, Zechariah, Malachi, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Paul, and the apostle Peter all affirmed their belief and faith in the creation account of scriptures and wrote about it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. If you trust the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to bring your salvation through the Word of God and through the cross of Jesus Christ, how is it that you can't trust the creation account of how this world came into being? But what's even bigger than that is that Jesus Christ himself talked about creation and affirmed the creation account that we have in the book of Genesis. And how are you gonna say no to Jesus when it comes to how this world was created? So the reality is the scripture confirms it in every way. And scripture says this universe is designed and created by God who had a plan and who executed that plan by the power of his word. And the world we live in today is a world that God created with order and complexity, but coordination as well. Wow, what a picture. But the third thing I want you to see today is the witness of the creation account. That's what we focus on. Those two verses that we read to start the message, we'll read them again. Genesis 1, 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. So this is what I would call day zero in creation. Next week, we'll look at day one. But day zero is a little bit of a prelude to what's about to happen because he hasn't created light yet. He hasn't divided the waters from the land. And all these creation acts that we'll read about in verse three and seven and 10 and so forth, 
He's just giving us a little glimpse of what is ahead. And when he writes this, he writes this for us to be able to understand the question more so than how creation took place, answer the question, who is God? Now, I know when we read Genesis 1-1, we're thinking of one thing. How did the world come into existence? But if Genesis 1-1 begins with those five words, in the beginning, God created, it speaks volumes about God. It tells us who God is. It tells us how powerful he is. It tells us something about his nature so that we can know him a little bit better. He's introducing himself as God in the creation account. And here's what it says about God. First of all, it says that God is eternal. God is eternal. In the beginning. Now for the world, there's a beginning point, a moment in which all that now exists was made. Now the word for beginning is simple in the, in the Hebrew. It, it literally is translated at the first or at origin. But if you look at the book of John, you'll find a little bit more detail in the Greek language about how he wrote about the beginning if you go to John chapter one, verse one. I love this look because it tells us even more, gives us a vivid imagery for what was going on in the beginning. Here's what it says in John 1, 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Now later on in the chapter, you'll learn that the word refers to Jesus Christ. All right? He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Now basically what the New Testament account says about Genesis 1-1 was that it's worded in the Greek in the beginning of all beginnings. I had the privilege of learning from a man named Spiros Zodiades. He was a leading Greek authority in the world at the time of his death, uh, the greatest living Greek scholar. And I had the privilege of knowing him for about seven years as his pastor. And every week we would walk through the scripture together. And when we would come to John 1-1, a special look would come across his face. He would be so excited to talk about it. And he used to talk about that phrase, in the beginning was the word. And he says, John, do you know what that phrase means? And I thought, like most of us do, well, it means in the beginning. He said, oh, no, it doesn't mean in the beginning at all. He says, it means in the beginning of all beginnings. The word is in our key, and it's really the word from which we get our, our word for architect or architecture. And that's what goes on before anything is built. And Spiros said, what this verse says is that in the mind of God, the intelligence of God was taking a blank slate, which was nothing, and he was putting together what he would create in eternity past. In the beginning of all beginnings, that means that simply that God was there eternal, eternally in the beginning of all beginnings. And he spoke everything that is in existence with a perfect architectural plan that only he could have. So that basically says that literally before there was a beginning, the word was there creating back at the start of time, before time even was. Now when you go back to Genesis, at the start of time, God was there before the beginning, before anything was created, before anything that we've been told about has taken place, God was present. Now, I know when you read your Bible, sometimes you come across phrases that, that sometimes mean something, but maybe not as much as it should when you connect it to everything else. And one of those phrases is the phrase, 
I am. Remember when God told Moses to go back to Pharaoh and Moses said, who should I tell them sent me? And God replied to him, tell them I am sent you. I remember you remember Jesus interacting with the Jewish lawyers and they were trying to tempt him and they were arguing with him and he made the statement before Abraham was, Abraham had come thousands of years before Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. Before Abraham was, I am. And they immediately understood that he was calling himself God. In other words, the, the, the word I am simply says, I have always been. I have always been and always will be. That's what I am means. Every time you see or sing the words, the great I am, you're singing and praising the one who always has been, who always will be. Praise the Lord for that. That's who he is. God is eternal God. Oh, if we're going to clap, let's just commit to it, people. Let's commit to it. Not that hard. Not that hard. So the great I am is the one who was in the beginning. And it's huge. Because the logical question all of us have, whether we're two years old or 50 years old, is what was before that? I've had enough kids that whenever I tell them we're going to do something, they ask the philosophical question before that, well, what was there before? What was before that? Or what's after that? Whatever it might be. And we always ask that. What was before creation? And the answer is always God was before creation. When nothing else was, God was. Now that's really important because if God is eternal, it means he sees everything and he knows everything. I don't know about you, but God doesn't qualify to be God unless he sees all and knows all. He is eternal. Over the years, one of the most encouraging verses to me personally is in Isaiah chapter 46, where God is speaking through Isaiah the prophet. And he says these words to Israel. He says, remember the former things long past, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there's no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning. Don't you love that line? God says, I declare the end from the beginning and from ancient times things which have not been done, saying my purpose will be established. I will accomplish all my good pleasure. Now let me say to you, only an eternal God can make that claim. Only an eternal God can make that statement. But when he says that, he says, I know the future. And basically it means that we're not subject to an aimless world of random events, but one in which an eternal God spoke everything into existence and has given purpose and order and direction. And that changes the way I think about life. It changes the way I think about the future. If God is eternal, I can be confident that whatever he leads me to do is always for the best. No matter what the world around me tells me, no matter what my feelings feel, this eternal God is giving me what I need to know. God is eternal. Secondly, these words tell us God is one. He is one. In the beginning, God. I know our translation is very simple. God, spelled G-O-D. But the name for God here in the Hebrew is Elohim, which means the supreme one. The supreme one. It's used 32 times in the creation event, revealing our creator God as the supreme one. Basically saying there is no other God. There is no other supreme one. 
But the, the word Elohim is also plural. It's not just singular, which would be normal in that case. And this is called the divine plural in languages. And basically, throughout the Bible, Elo, Elohim refers to one God and three persons. We often refer to this as the Trinity, Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that's common for us. But from the very beginning, we're introduced to this God as one God, but plural. That is, three persons in one we learn later. Now, the reason it's important for you to know that now is because in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, it says that the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So who is the Spirit of God? Well, He is God, but God the Spirit. John 1, 1 and 2 and 3 tell us that it's Jesus, the Word, that spoke the worlds into existence. So this God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit is operating prior to creation. This plural name and the reference to the Spirit of God is foundational for us recognizing how He interacts with us through the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So what He's doing is introducing us at that point so that in all of human history we would know Him and recognize Him and follow Him. And finally, He's omnipotent. You don't walk away from this text without making that statement. God is omnipotent, or to say it another way, is all-powerful. All-powerful. In the beginning, God created. So not only is our God eternal, not only is He alone God, but He is all-powerful. Verses 1 and 2 are simply saying God created. Before God created, there was nothing now, most of us have trouble grasping nothing. Most of the time when I think of nothing, I think of nothing in a space that exists, right? You go into a room that's empty, nothing is in that room. But if you really want to get specific, there are walls in that room. There's a floor in that room. There's a ceiling in that room. There may be a light in that room and just air in the room, but there's something in that room. But before God created, there was not the room. There was not the space we can't say that God just existed out in space because there was no space at all. Ken Ham, who is uh, famous for recreating the ark in the Art Museum in Kentucky, by the way, we'll have him here in February to talk about that, has made this statement. He said, this means that there was not even nothing. There were no elements, no particles, no light, no dark, no heat, no cold, nothing. Which brings us to realize that God created the materials necessary to create the world itself. So even the space is God's creation. Even the light is God's creation, as we'll soon see. But how does a God like this do such a thing? Well, all through the Bible, we find hints of how God does this. Psalm 33, verse 9 is a great one. For he spoke, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. In other words, all God, who is eternal, who is one, who is all-powerful, all God has to do is speak and things come into existence. Do you know now why we call the Word of God powerful? Because the same God who used His Word to create all of creation speaks to us in powerful ways through the Bible. It's just an amazing thing. 
So we're stretching our minds to grasp this. I know that you're trying to do that. I'm trying to do it, but that's appropriate to stretch your mind. If you can explain creation and the, the systematic order that we have, the amazing complexity that all works together, then if you can explain it all naturally, then it's not a supernatural occurrence. But it's supernatural. So we can't really explain it fully, no matter how badly you want to know this. For you to know the details of this, you have to know the God who made it all. Only he can reveal that to you. Science has proven it can't be explained humanly because they can't explain it. But to know our God is omnipotent is to know he's in control. To know that he holds everything in his hands. And the creation account basically says he created. Look at what God has made. He made everything. You can trust him. That's what the scripture points us to. John MacArthur made an interesting statement about this subject, and I want to read it to you. He wrote, quote, a well-known scientist named Herbert Spencer died in 1903. He discovered that all reality, all that exists in the universe can be contained in five categories, time, force, action, space, and matter. Herbert Spencer said that everything that exists, exists in one of those five categories. Again, time, force, action, space, and matter. It's actually a logical sequence. He goes further and to say that when you read Genesis 1-1, you see all five of these in that order. In the beginning, that's time. God, that's force. Created, that's action. Heaven, that's space. Earth, that's matter. Everything that could be said about everything that exists is said in that first verse in the Bible. God created the heavens and the earth. I think that's powerful. You know what all this says? All that we've talked about today says that God has shaped, he's fashioned, he's created the world we live in. He put everything in its proper place. He put everything in its proper order. He created the heavens, he created the earth, he created the animal and sea life, the birds in the air. He created humanity in a specific and perfect way. It's hard for us to conceive this, but the moment we began to grasp this, we began to trust the God who created all this. So let me drill closer to your heart with this and say these words. If God has created everything out of nothing, can he not make something good out of something bad? Can he not bring life out of that which we think is dead? If God can do all this, can he not forgive the sinner? Can he not give purpose to the lost? Can he not bring hope to the hopeless? If this is who God is, if he's all-knowing, if he's eternal, if he's omnipotent, if he has come personally to assure us of his love and his meaning for life through his son, Jesus Christ, can we not trust him? And can we not build our lives on all that he says? After all, the worlds are suspended in perfect balance at his word. Why can we not be suspended in perfect balance at his word? See, that's the point of Genesis 1-1. Genesis 1-1 is not there just to give you some explanation that you can tell your friends about. It's to give you the sense that God was here in the very beginning speaking all this into creation and that he loves you, that he knows you, and he can speak creation into your life. And that's what he wants to do. Today, you need to make a choice as to who you'll believe. Believe the theories of men or you believe the account of a creator God who is 
eternal, who is one, who is omnipotent, and who has an amazing plan for your life. I want you to stand with me for a moment. And I, as I close in prayer today, there's a couple of invitations I want to give to you. One is the invitation to talk to somebody about a decision for Christ. We have decision stations at each of our exit areas. All you have to do is move toward one of those, towards one of those signs, and there are people behind those tables ready to talk to you. I'd love to invite you to the guest reception center outside our center exit doors and across the hallway, a glassed-in room, and I'll be in there. Love to talk to you about putting your faith in Christ, putting your, uh, putting your involvement in church here at Cross City. But it's an important moment for decisions. I want you to take this next week and think through the creation account of Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Then read everything you want to read about any other philosophy, any other theory. And come back and walk with us through this series that will give you the clear answers of what the Bible says are the most important questions in your life. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, today in Jesus' name, I am so grateful for this opportunity. Thankful for the Bible. Thank you for Genesis. Lord, today, thank you that the questions that we need answers to are found in the Bible and the answers are true. And Father, for every person in the room today to come by faith and accept what you have written as true is so important. Father, answer our questions. I pray that you'll pacify our doubts. Give us the evidence we need of your presence, of your reality. And Father, I pray that you'll keep your promises to us, that each of us that come to you by faith, you will in no way cast out, but instead will save. And so, Father, today I ask you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.